Lord, what a privilege it is to gather together this morning as your people on this beautiful winter day and see, once again, you reveal yourself in powerful ways to us, that we would walk away from here changed, recognizing you for who you are, and asking, Lord, that you would speak to us in the depths of our hearts. As you sought your Father, Lord Jesus, may we seek you as well. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, greetings, friends, and as we've noticed since the Christmas season, that a Jesus that we create, who's a projection of our own desires, who can't contradict us at all, obviously can't challenge us, obviously really can't help us, if you're going to have a Jesus who really challenges you and really helps you, it has to be a Jesus with his own reality, one that we don't create. And that's what we've seen throughout this epiphany season, is it not? And the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are eyewitness accounts of his life that were written down in the first century as they were dying out so that we could have forever access to the real Jesus. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, because the first of these books is Mark, and that's what we've been going through, and what we learn in today's lesson is the depth of Jesus' ministry and the depth of his interior life with his Father. The depth of Jesus' ministry and the depth of his interior life with the Father. First, the depth of his ministry. For I want us to notice that first, Jesus is one who ministers both in word and deed. The issue in front of Jesus, and the reason he's doing the prayer that's implicit in Mark, we see it also in Luke chapter 4. It's the same set of issues. Jesus is going about doing many miracles, healing many people. He's healing the sick, doing incredible things. And in Luke chapter 4, we're told he Immediately he goes out to pray, and the disciples go out to get him. And they urge him in Luke 4 not to leave them. Now we know a little bit of why a loving heart like Jesus was under pressure and why he needed to get away and pray, obviously. For the people in that area were asking two things. First, stay here, meet our needs. You can meet all our needs and solve all our problems. And Jesus says, like he says here in Mark, verse 39, no, I have to keep going. I have to go to everybody else, too, because he's not here just to meet their needs. He's also come among us and them to preach the word. Notice, verse 38, and he said to them, let us go into the towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. He came out to proclaim the good news. What's his good news? Well, we've seen this. We haven't even gone out of chapter 1, and we've been in this for five weeks, right? It's amazing. Jesus, verse 15, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. In other words, turn around and follow me. Believe the good news. That's the ministry of the word that Jesus has been given. Turn around. You need to be converted. You're insufficient within yourselves. You need God. You need his grace. 
we don't want to hear that, do we? Really. You do want to, when you're hungry, get fed. And when you're sick, you want to be healed. And those people who went out to him were hungry and they were fed. And those who went out to him to be with sickness were healed. He met the needs through deeds. And they knew they needed him. But what they didn't know is that they needed to have healings for their souls as well. So Jesus says, you have a lot of needs you don't even know you have. And I'm here to tell you of your greatest need. And humanity across the ages really don't want to hear that, do they? There's a story in the, during the Great Awakening in the 1730s of a lady aristocrat who came to faith in Christ through the preaching ministry of George Whitfield. Her name was Lady Huntington. She was a member of the upper class, and she wanted all her friends and aristocrats to hear and respond to the good news the way she had. So she invited them, and when Mr. Whitfield came through her town, she would invite them to come out. So she wrote a note to Lady Huntington, no, excuse me, the Duchess of Buckingham, to come and hear the good news by George Whitfield. And guess what Lady Buckingham said? Absolutely not. She wrote these words, and most of her friends opposed the invitations and wouldn't come hear him. She said, it is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank in your good breeding. No, Jesus says, we go after the Duchess of Buckingham. We go to the whole world, the high and the low, the poor and the wealthy, and take this good news, because Jesus goes after our souls, not just our bodies. And that's what he does in verse 38. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there. For that's why I've come. Not just to be a miracle worker. Notice he heals Peter's mother and she gets up instantly and starts to make dinner. It's an amazing miracle right there. But he doesn't stop there. He always accompanies the deeds with the words. And what does this mean for us both individually and corporately? First, for us individually and corporately. It's important that we do needs-based ministry. But if that's all we do when you say, God bless you, it's just a transaction. They come, they receive, and they go away. That's why it was such a joy this, this during Santa's workshop this year, we were able to stop them for just a second and say, you know, if you're not plugged into a church, we would love to see you Christmas Eve. None of them came. <laughs> but it takes 11 invitations for someone to walk through the doors. Did you know that? So if it takes 11 invitations, we're in year one of 11 with some of them. But, but we don't want to make people transactions, right? We also don't want on the other extreme just to give them the good news of the gospel without meeting the needs. That's cold and callous. No, Jesus insists on doing both, meeting their needs and calling people to turn around and follow him. Word and deed, deed and word. 
And the question then becomes, how do we get the confidence to live such a life? Well, Jesus clues us in because from verse 14 all the way to verse 35, it's one day. So it ends up in rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and then when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! Well, we've observed over the last month when people learned that Jesus was God and could heal. Everybody wanted an appointment. Everybody wanted to see him. So Simon Peter understandably says, dude, everybody's looking for you. Where you been? Right? And the response was overwhelming, quite frankly. And Jesus' response to extreme busyness, extreme incredible popularity, over-the-top productivity is very different than most of our responses. What did he do? The busier he got, the more he prays. So we learned two things here about prayer. First, it's the supreme priority. Early in the morning, at an inconvenient time, when it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to a solitary place. This word solitary is the Greek word eremos. Um, it, he didn't just go to find a room with a view. He went out to an uninhabited place and met with his heavenly father. And from, so from the time he went out there to the time that the disciples realized that he was missing was obviously significant enough. It was probably a couple hours. Jesus was spending hours in prayer. So what does this mean? It means that if we, who are flawed, weak people, and he's the son of God, if he thought he needed more prayer, the busier it got for him, how much more then do we need to spend time in prayer? Or to put it another way, when you and I come into those overly busy times, productive, when we have all these opportunities, and everybody wants a piece of us, and we're accomplishing stuff, what are we accomplishing? Oh, we're making money, maybe. We're helping people. And that's all great. But Jesus was standing in the middle of an opportunity where he would literally change the world. His opportunities were literally going to change the course of history. So if he thinks it's that important, if prayer is that great a priority, and if he increases his prayer when his busyness increases, where do we get off to think we don't need it? So that's number one. We have to fight for it in our schedules and make it a priority. Secondly, we learn the essence of prayer is not what we think it is. Because when you read the totality of Mark, you recognize when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, the essence of Jesus' prayer life is not the stuff he gets. He starts off, the very first word out of his mouth in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14 is Abba. It's the Aramaic word, Daddy. 
hey, pops. It's an intimate word that he uses. And later the disciples ask him, Lord, how do we pray? And he gives them the pattern of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. We say it every week as a corporate prayer together, I know, but it's really a targets of prayer. Because what Jesus is teaching us in prayer is the essence of prayer is not, Lord, give us this day our daily stuff or forgive us our wrongdoings. As important as all those things are, it doesn't come first. What comes first in prayer? Orientation. The essence of prayer is searing the senses of the heart and the mind of the white-hot fact that Jesus Christ, the cosmic Lord of the universe, is your heavenly Father who desires to be with you and relate to you. That's the essence of prayer, and that's the beginning of prayer, and that's the thing on which everything else is based. The cosmic of the Lord of the universe has become your father, infinite, absolute, transcendent, powerful, gentled for you. And if that's the case with us selfish, broken human parents, how much more infinitely more must in Christ, God who's become our heavenly father, lovingly committed to each and every one of us in Christ. That's what Jesus is going out in the wilderness for, and that's what we go into our prayer closets for, to be with him. We saw it at his baptism a few weeks ago. The Spirit descended upon Jesus. The Father spoke infinite love into Jesus' life by saying, You are my beloved Son. Delight in me. And now Jesus is back for that. Because being human, he needed time with his Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus is after. The engine of Jesus' prayer life is the love of God for him. Therefore, it ought to be for us. So, brothers and sisters, prayer was the very foundation of Jesus' life. And the purpose of prayer is not to get things from God. It's to get God. It's to relate to God. The degree to which you know the unconditional fatherly love of God for you through prayer. To reorient your heart to that reality is the degree to which you don't need the world's approval. You don't need the world's power. You don't need the world's comforts and stuff or control. Because he's in control. And he loves you with that everlasting love. George Mueller, who ran the orphanages in Bristol. A few years back, I was there in 2018, and I was taken up to where the orphanages were. They left just one little section. There's 30 buildings, massive, five-story buildings built in the late 1800s going into the 20th century, all fueled a ministry by prayer to minister to the orphans, to give them a chance for training, and they could, the boys would get out with a, with a trade, and the women would get out with a trade when they graduated from high school there, all with a Christian worldview. It's a beautiful ministry. But he 
taught them that we are going to be an organization that's totally dependent upon God. And so in the early days of these orphanages, that all these buildings that he had set up there, there was one day where they were totally out of food. And so the kids sat down. I mean, imagine 200 kids sitting down, and there's no food. And they looked up at him as he stood at, on the stage of this orphanage cafeteria, and they said, you know, uh, Mr. Mueller, there's no food. And he goes, I know. Let's go to our Heavenly Father who loves us in prayer. So he does. And he prayed and thanked the Lord for the promise to give them their daily bread and to meet their need. And he prayed and reminded the Lord that if he was busy and doing his business, that these children were really hungry, could he provide for us? A knock came at the door. The baker up the street stood there and said that he felt led to bring the leftovers to the orphanage to feed every kid at least their daily bread. <laughs> See, it's only when you have experiences like that that you really know God is real and you experience God. It's only when you have experiences like that when you know you can really trust the Lord. He wants us to have such a daily dependence upon him in spite of the fact that we might have plenty of choices in our lives. But here's our Heavenly Father who calls us, each and every one of us, to a lives filled with prayer so we're fueled for word and deed ministry in our area as well. May it be so in our lives, brothers and sisters, that God receives the glory and we are salt and light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you would give us right now as we come to your table a sense of your reality, of your love. Sear the senses of our minds and hearts that we're sitting down at your table merely because we are your children and you are our Father. And make that love the engine of our lives as it was the engine of your son's life. And may we go forth into this community to bring some heaven to earth and share with others the reality of your grace. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.